It's time to get up and get your day started. Morant. Oh! A jawbreaker! It's Sports 56 Mornings with Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. The first hour of Sports 56 Mornings is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware at the corner of White Station and Quince. Now, here are your hosts, Greg and Eli. It is a good thing that the precipitation outside is rain, because if it was as cold as it was last week, we'd be looking at a lot of snow, ladies and gentlemen, but all it is is what will hopefully be harmless rain as we welcome you in to Sports 56 Mornings on this Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, where family and fun come together. Their floor model sale continues. All floor model patio sets are priced to move. Wicker sofa, closeout patio cushions, pool tables, theater seating, on and on and on. Check them out when you get an opportunity. 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. And the first hour of the program is brought to you by our friends over at East Memphis Ace Hardware. As I mentioned, it's raining. It is going to be off and on throughout the day. We're looking at 49 degrees currently with a high today of 55. Then tonight overcast with rain showers at times, a low of 53. That chance of rain, 60%. And then for your Wednesday, occasional rain showers once again with a high roaring up to 63 degrees tomorrow. Unfortunately, rain and not a sunny day, but that's what we got from Mother Nature. Well, I'll tell you, Siri, what we got. We got rain and lots of it. Coming up on the program today, Connor O'Gara joins us at 725, as he does every other week, to talk some college football. Jeff Crane at 825 from the University of Memphis. And then we'll have our weekly road segment with men's coach over at Rhodes, the men's basketball coach, Zoe Goodson. That'll be at 905. We got Humdinger's Trivia. That'll come your way to open up hour number two at about 8. We'll take your calls and texts on the Sports 56 listener lines at 901-360-8255. You can also send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, on the website, sportsmemphis.com. The Grizzlies pick up a win last night on the road. We will discuss that. It was a a crazy night in the NBA, some record-setting performances. The Tigers remain in the top 25 poll. We were wondering about that. We'll go over that on the program. Talk a little NFL. There was a college basketball firing yesterday, and it looks like the Titans have their man as their new head coach to lead them into 2024 and beyond. Just some of the topics we'll talk about on the program today. How are you? I am uh, I'm good. Most of the ice is gone. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of it. Still a few patches when I was coming in, but most of that is... Uh, Going to the wayside as we speak with the rain coming down as it is. Are these damn kids can get back to school. Are they back to school today? Please yes. tell me they are. Okay, yes. good, good. Uh, look, I tweeted it out yesterday. I, okay. I, I don't know why, but I'll give them the benefit of the, of the doubt with buses and liability and all that. Okay, no school. But there were places la- yesterday, I just, I don't even get it. Like getting a haircut. What? Nobody's there? They're not open? Why? Doctor's appointments. Forget about it, man. What? Come on. What's the deal here? I mean, you don't have to go to your appointment if you feel that it is not safe. Cancel. And the problem is you call up, you can't get through 
to cancel the appointment or to change the appointment. So that I thought we'd be back to normal yesterday, and I was planning on doing a lot of errands yesterday, and uh, that was curtailed by, again, people not working. So today, hopefully, I could do that, and it will be the case that people are back to work and we're back back to some normalcy. But, my gosh, I can't even imagine if the ice was with us for three weeks, for a month. What would happen? I, I, I know in this day and age, people, and a lot of them younger people, will use any excuse in the world to get out of work. Now, I know some of those days last week were bad, and they didn't want to drive in it. And I, I understand. You're not used to driving in the in the ice and snow. But, my gosh, I mean, got to make a paycheck. Businesses have to make money, I would think. But I was told, well, the, the liability outweighs the the productivity of the company and the uh, money that, what? I mean, that's what we're living in a society where we got to worry about lawsuits, for goodness sakes. I mean, it should be your it's your own risk. If you don't if you don't feel safe, don't go out. If not, go out. Just leave the businesses open. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. Uh, last night, the Grizzlies went into Toronto, Canada, your favorite country in the world, knocked off the Raptors 108 to 100. When I was talking about this game yesterday on the show, and I said it was a seven and a half point spread, I don't know why. I just thought that was way too much. And not only were the Odds makers in Vegas off on this one. They had the wrong team. Wrong team favorite. Grizzlies didn't need no stinking seven and a half points. They win by eight. And the lead was much larger than that. It ended up eight. They improved to 16 and 27 on the season. Jaron Jackson Jr., who has been feasting on teams offensively without Desmond Bain, without John Morant, goes for 27 and has six steals. So he did it on both ends. Luke Kennard, 19, or was that 17? No, it was 19. 19 points and seven assists. And Vince Williams Jr., congratulations, Vinny. His first double-double. He had 18 points, 10 rebounds. Also, you had Jitty with five blocks. Where did that come from? I guess he found his inner Malco. And then David Roddy chipped in with eight points and 10 rebounds. So guys that would be coming off the bench, guys that would be deep in the rotation, guys that wouldn't even be in the rotation, contributing last night. Taylor Jenkins said before the game, he's still searching for chemistry. Well, there was chemistry last night. Yeah. Um, impressing, um, impressive wire-to-wire. It kind of gets a little bit of, I guess, revenge because the Toronto game at home was the worst performance of the year. It was just a pathetic performance. Um, that's when they actually had some guys had guys playing and lost to that team here at home. Uh, the six steals in the first quarter by Jared, like that, that's like, <laughs> that's amazing to get six steals in a quarter. I had no idea they were all in a quarter of an NBA game. I had no idea they were all in one quarter. Um, that's got to be a franchise record, right? Yeah, it was. I'd, he said it. What did Pete Zach, do you know that? It was the most six steals the in, first one, time in the first quarter. Six steals in any quarter since. But I don't remember what he said. I don't remember what Pete said. There was they had the number of when it was the last time somebody had six deals in any quarter um, in the NBA. Who the heck was it? His the points and steals combination in a quarter, like only Eric Bledsoe, I believe, had ever done it in NBA history. Wow, with at least six steals and fifteen points or something like that in a quarter. Um, and I can't remember. I think there was three or two or three guys who had had six steals in a quarter 
in NBA history, but um, it was just bizarre. Like every time they came down, somehow Jaron Jackson Jr. stole the ball from them. Um, but yeah, it was it you know it was you know I, it is what it is. I don't know what <laughs> what we take out of any of these games with this team. Um, but uh, yeah, if you're if you you might as well win some of the games. It's nice to win some of the games. You don't want to lose all of them. So go out there and when you're playing some other bad teams, it's it's nice to get a win. It is. I I just like watching that Jaron Jackson Jr. where he doesn't settle too much for the three. He's going to shoot the three. It's part of his arsenal. And it's part of the flow of the offense of the team. If he gets open threes. But he was 2 of 5. That's fine. But he was 12 of 22 overall. So he's scoring in the paint. He's getting to the hole. He's using his size. He's using his athleticism. Four rebounds. He could do better. And he has uh, this year at, at times. But six steals, as we talked about. Five assists as well. Just a great all-around game for Jaron Jackson Jr. But you had the contributions from everyone. Again, Jitty with... Six blocks? Are you kidding me? He also had five rebounds and four assists. And Vince Williams just gets better and better. Seven of 11 from the field. Two of four from three. 18 points, 10 rebounds. Luke Kennard doing what Luke Kennard does well. And that shoot the ball. Five of 13 from three. Seven of 18 overall. He had 19 points. They got good support from the bench. Gigi Jackson played 21 minutes. Had seven points. He three of five shots. He hits a high percentage of his shots because he doesn't take foolish shots. He gets five rebounds as well. David Roddy, I mentioned, eight points. I have it down for 10 rebounds, but I think the box score has nine rebounds, so maybe they took one away, but eight points, nine rebounds. Just a good overall performance. Now they go to Miami. They'll play the Heat tomorrow night and then back home on Friday against Orlando. There isn't, as you said, there's not... What are you going to get excited about this? They're going nowhere. We understand that. But just to win some wars within the big battle, meaning winning some games within the battle of this season, which has been a struggle from the get-go because of injury, you can only imagine in your mind how good this team, how competitive they would have been with all their pieces. And it's sad to think about a wasted year. But that's exactly what it is. I guess now the question is, will there be any sort of move made before the deadline? You know, the, uh, I was thinking, you know, and certainly every, you know, there's not, you don't make moves for this year because there's really no moves to be made. So everything's about the future and um, whether you want to clear some roster space or whatever um, going towards the future. And I do wonder, like, Luke Kennard is under you. You've got a team option of Luke Kennard next year, but I would think there will be teams just like the Grizzlies last year who will want a guy who could knock down threes at the trade deadline. Would you? Do you? Do you move Luke Kennard this year if some team again wants an extra shooter? Because right now, again, he's he's what? What are they? He's over fifty percent. Like he's at like fifty five percent. Like the last I remember seven eight games. <laughs> that dude is just on un, an unbelievable tear from three point range. Like, dude, could you? Do you, would you part with Luke Kennard knowing, or would you rather keep him because, again, you've got him next year on a team option, which is a very affordable $14 million? Yeah, see, that's being discussed. There's no question there are a number of teams that could use his services and that will be talking to the Grizzlies. But what are you getting in return? Why are you going to give up an asset like Luke Kennard when you have a team option for next year when really this is just 
you're just passing the time now until next season. How, if this team is back to full strength and knock on wood that that's the case, how would you not want to have that weapon coming off the bench? So again, what do you get in return for Luke Kennard? Teams, no question, will want him. But I don't know if I don't just roll with, with keeping Luke for next season to see what happens with what will be, again, knock on wood, a healthy team. Why would you give away that asset? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Are they worried about I, salary for next year? Is that what I, the question is? No, I just he's a he's an asset that somebody might really want, and you might be able to get something. You might be able to get something for him. The other guys you aren't getting anything for. Like nobody really cares about having them. No, 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 no. no I understand. Like, it what might you, be somebody. What are you getting? What are you What are you going to get in return? You know, what, like so a bunch of salary dumps and 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 second round picks. I don't know what you're going to get. Your question is a, a good one because I think there's no question in my mind. There's multiple teams out there that are going. Yeah, we can use that guy. If he's expendable, if they want to get rid of him, we'll take him off the, uh, off their hands. But I don't know. I, I, I think you almost you, you want to put this one, you, you want to freeze everything and start again. Like, let's fast forward to September and October, camp opening up, everybody's healthy, Adams plays through the preseason games and into the regular season. Brandon Clark, who, who knows if he'll play any this year. There's a possibility he could. Everybody else is healthy, and then you have all your weapons. Why would you give away the weapon uh, if you're not getting something really good in return? But I don't even know what you would want in return. Right now, they're using this time to basically come to a conclusion, in my opinion, of what is going to work down the road and what's not going to work. And even though some of these guys are under contract, you may have to dump. If you're looking at replacing whoever it may be, LaRavia, he's under contract for another year. You dump the salary. If you need a spot to fill, to put somebody in there that you're eyeing, that you want to go after. So, but again, I don't know all the finances. That's not my thing. I don't know where they are as far as the cap is concerned. But something that certainly they are, they, they, what, what they do now is ha- they have time. They have time to digest everything about this team and to get a better understanding about some of these fringe players whether or not they're going to be a part of the future or not. All right, elsewhere in the NBA last night. I don't know what was in the water last night, but we had some huge offensive performances. First of all, you had Joel Embiid, the reigning NBA Most Valuable Player, go off in the Sixers win over the Spurs, 133-123. He goes for 70 points, a 70-burger with 18 rebounds and five assists, That eclipses Wilt Chamberlain's all-time Sixers record. Now, remember, Wilt had the 100-point game as a member of the Philadelphia Warriors. They moved out to San Francisco so and then became the Golden State Warriors. That's not part of the Sixers. The Sixers, it was 68 by Wilt, and Bede passes it with 70. Overshadows overshadows Victor Wembanyama, who went for 33-7. and That's a footnote. 70 points for Joel Embiid. Yeah, he's um, he's he's pretty good. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, <laughs> this just is averaging thirty six a game now. I believe. Um, you know, this was the anniversary, or last night was the anniversary of Kobe's eighty one point game, eighteen years ago. So something um, about that date. I don't know. Um, but to you know, he does some crazy stuff. But 
70 points with only one three-pointer made is like I, in today's world of basketball at all. Like I, that, 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 that always, that amazes me that you would score. You, you could score mm-hmm. 70 with only making one three-pointer. Will he repeat as MVP? Uh, certainly has a chance to, there's a lot of, a lot of good candidates out there though. I mean, just last night, like it was like Kevin Durant last night had 43 in a game winner. We're like, yeah, dude, right. Leave us alone. Get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> like, I didn't even put him in my notes. Giannis triple-double, Luka triple-double, like massive numbers. Like, yeah, no, no. Sorry. Scratch. Get out. You ain't got, you ain't got nothing. You can have amazing discussions about the best player in the NBA and use Giannis as an example, use Jokic as an example, throw in Doncic. Some still think Durant, even though I don't think so. Steph, even though he's lost a little bit of the fastball. You could argue... And certainly make valid points, but Joel Embiid to me is the best player in the NBA. Durant was funny. They he came in for his press conference and they said something. You know, somebody said that they asked, "Did you see that he got that Embiid went for seventy? And he was like, "He went for he like he." It's just funny to see a player like that who was awesome and again who just who's coming off a forty three point performance and he was just like blown away he's like he's like 70 <laughs> he's like you gotta be kidding me like it's, it's just so like you think about it as the normal fan the guy who's out there doing it and who's great at it is still like blown away by somebody getting 70 but last night was a perfect example of it, it's not always a great night when an individual player goes off because in the Sixers case they won the game by 10 so everybody's all smiles and congratulating Embiid but for the Minnesota Timberwolves, they blew an 18-point lead to the lowly Charlotte Hornets and lose 128 to 125 on a night when Carl Anthony Towns goes for 62 points, eclipsing his previous record of 60, his personal record. He goes for 62. But in the fourth quarter, with the game on the line, He goes 2 of 10 from the field for just four points. He turns the ball over late in the game. He was short on a three-point attempt on the final possession. Timberwolves head coach Chris Finch lit into his team in the post-game press conference, calling it an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball. He went on to criticize how the Timberwolves responded to Towns' hot start, saying they stopped looking to make the right play. I mean, there's lots of times when just because you've scored two or three or four points in a row or baskets in a row, you know obviously we're going to try to feed a hot hand, look for a hot hand. But at some point, we got to get back to making the right play. We got to get back to doing the right things. Selfish basketball. Does that ring a bell around here? Selfish basketball. So on a night where he scores 62, it wasn't all glory and happiness and smiles in Minnesota. Yeah, like that's for Minnesota who was, I think, 17-3 and at home going into last night and Charlotte had like five road wins on the year. And you got a guy go for 62. Like the idea of losing that game is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, he got absolutely hammered on the drive to the basket that would have given them the lead, um, the possession before the last one. Like I, his arm got nearly taken off. I can't, I don't, how they missed that call, I don't know. The three point at the buzzer is a, you know, 
basically a fade away from the logo. That is what it is. Um, but yeah, like the night, like the, they took him out of the game in the fourth quarter because like they, like it's just weird. Like guys got 62 points and they're like, I oh, know we got to get him out of the game. It's, it's causing problems. He's in, we, we need a better lineup than the guy who has 62 points in the game. It's, it's just the it's bizarre thing. So should Chris Finch get criticism? Yesterday we had folks that were criticizing Penny and understandably so for throwing the team under the bus, not individual players. Finch is throwing the team under the bus here, but he's pointing a lot of fingers at at Carl Anthony Towns, too, for being a little bit selfish and then the players being too much, um, what's the word, just kind of letting him do his thing and not playing in a team concept. Is Should Finch catch crap? These are professional athletes now. You don't see that much anymore in this day and age of that criticism against a team like that, especially when a guy has an uh, an individual performance like he did. No, I don't. I don't think Chris Finch at all should. I mean, he pointed out what he didn't like about this game and why they lost with a guy scored sixty two points. Okay. Oh, there'll be people that'll that'll massacre him. There's no question about it. I think he's fine. I think coaches should be able to say whatever the hell they want. It's a way different situation than Penny's situation, but I mean, it, yeah, but it's still selfishness. And at the core, with the Tigers, it's selfishness. And at the core of last night's game in Minnesota, according to Chris Finch, it was selfishness. All right, a couple of other things real quick before we take our first time out. And Connor O'Gara joins us on the other side from the NFL world. Looks like we have our first. Higher of these big names that are out there, but this one not as big a name, obviously, as Bill Belichick and Pete Carroll and Mike Vrabel and Jim uh, Harbaugh, but he is a sought-after coach, and now he's a head coach, and that is Brian Callahan. He was the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati with the Bengals, and now, according to reports, Adam Schefter reporting first last night, they are finalizing detail, details in Nashville, and he will become the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Brian Callahan going with a offensive mind. I love the hire. Callahan and everything I've read about Callahan, he is uh, so well-respected, and it's an offensive. Look, I like Vrabel, and I wouldn't have fired Vrabel, but I love the fact they're going with an offensive-minded coach. Obviously, he's... Growing up around the game with his dad, um, being a coach, and yep. so even though he's not a real experienced guy, he's only you know um, only the he's been the wasn't a coordinator until he got to Cincinnati, but he's been there since 2019. But he had worked previously as a quarterbacks coach, where he's worked with Matt Stafford with the Lions. He worked with Derek Carr with the Raiders. Um, now, obviously, has been working with Joe Burrow. So certainly. Um, and for a team that has a young quarterback and Will Levis that they want to develop, going and get a, getting a guy who has a pretty decent track record with quarterbacks, uh, probably probably a smart move. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the rest of the openings, but I expect more than likely all of them to be filled by this weekend. I, I really do believe there are now um, face-to-face interviews going on, some of the candidates getting their second interview. I would think that things start to move along uh, with all these franchises, and, and everybody's keeping an eye on what's going on with Atlanta and certainly with the Chargers because you got Bill Belichick in play with the Falcons at least and Jim Harbaugh in play with both the Chargers and the Falcons. we got plenty of basketball. some coaches who are going to be coaching this weekend that are going to be getting some of these jobs. So Yeah. 
Well, that's true. That's true. So maybe it'll linger into to next week. But I think before too long, I'm not saying that this starts a domino effect, this hiring of Brian Callahan. But I would think that this week, because you can get the face-to-face interviews with at least uh, those who are not coaching this weekend, that there's more of a chance that there'll be some hirings coming up in the next few days. Uh, we'll talk Tigers a little bit later on in the show as they remain in the poll and remain in the top 20, which may be a little surprising to most. We'll go over the poll. We'll also talk about the David Jones situation in New Orleans, what Tulane had to say about that, and Jerry Palm's latest bracketology that came out yesterday. JP will join us on the show tomorrow, but we will discuss that a little bit later on in the program, plus plenty more college football news, and we'll talk football. We'll talk SEC football. We'll do so with Connor O'Gara when we return. do want to tell you folks about Pinnacle Roofing and Restoration for all your roofing and home repair needs. Call Brandon McCullough at 901 901- 438-5084 online at newroofmethods.com. Pinnacle has been with us for years and years and years, and we thank them for being a part of our program, a part of our station. And it's because of folks like you. You have uh, heeded my advice, and you have called uh, Brandon. You have gotten new roofs, and you've gotten roofs fixed, and you've gotten restoration around the home from Pinnacle, locally owned and operated company. If financing is an issue for you, they offer different plans and options, including a 6, a 12, an 18-month, same-as-cash option. They'll work with your insurance company. They'll work out of pocket, whatever it takes to get that roof fixed or to get that new roof. Residential and commercial roofing, uh, they do. Not just homeowners, not just homes. They do residential and commercial roofing. So business owners, property managers, listen up. Obviously, homeowners as well. They will come out and do a free roof inspection. Just give them a call. They'll come out and do that free roof inspection. Don't forget about the $100 referral fee for all new roofs. So you know somebody who needs that new roof, you refer Pinnacle. Pinnacle will give you 100 bucks for that referral if they get the new roof. They do work around the home. Carpentry work, exterior painting. They replace gutters, put up fencing and siding, rotten wood repair. They can install shingles. Brandon's a certified shingle installer. If you get that new roof, you get a five-year labor warranty on the roof. And all their work, satisfaction guaranteed. If you have an issue, just call Pinnacle back up. They will take care of that and make sure it is right for you. Again, locally owned and operated, Pinnacle Roofing and Restoration for all your roofing and home repair needs. Call Brandon today. Tell him you heard it here on Sports 56 Mornings, 901-438-5084 or online at newroofmemphis.com. Connor O'Gara is next. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. You already know you can listen to Sports 56 anywhere with the Sports 56 app or at sports56whbq.com. But you can also watch us daily with live video of all of our shows on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Now back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware at the corner of White Station and Quince. Here once again are Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. It is never an off season when it comes to college football. And fortunately, every other week we get to talk about it, specifically about the SEC with Connor O'Gara. It's time to talk some SEC and college football. Joining Greg and Eli is Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com and SaturdayTradition.com. Here's Connor O'Gara with Greg and Eli. 
It is Connor O'Gara. As I mentioned, every other Tuesday, he joins us here on Sports 56 Mornings all year long. You can read all his terrific stories at Saturday Down South, Saturday Tradition. Follow him on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. How are you? Gentlemen, uh, doing well. Uh, two weeks since the national championship has been uh, in the books. Nothing has really happened. Not a whole lot going on in our sport. Everything's good. Yeah, that's that's the understatement of the uh, of the year. We obviously are waiting with bated breath about Harbaugh. I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. But I did want to get your thoughts on the move by Ross Bjork. Goes from Ole Miss to Texas A&M to Ohio State, becomes their AD. Yesterday, R.C. Slocum, the former football coach, was named the interim head coach at Texas A&M. I'm not sure if you have any idea what direction they're going to go in to fill that position. But Ross goes to Ohio State, and things seem to be going pretty well right now for the Buckeyes. Yeah, it's been a, a strange three weeks for them. I mean, think about all the questions that we had about Ohio State coming off of what was just a disastrous showing in the Cotton Bowl. And that defense is legit. But I shouldn't say it was disastrous across the board. But there are people who cover the program that are like, I, I haven't had this many questions about Ohio State in a long time, maybe since Tattoo Gate. Mm. And here they are a few weeks later in this world of NIL and Transfer Portal with a roster that returned so many key contributors. I mean, outside of Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, it seemed like dude after dude is coming back. They've got nine starters back on that defense. And then, oh, by the way, you dip into the portal, you add the likes of Quinshawn Judkins, who's going to be a preseason All-American, Caleb Downs, who's going to be a preseason All-American, Will Howard, who might be one of the best two quarterbacks from the portal. You get Seth McLaughlin, who may or may not be able to snap a football <laughs> next year, TBD on that. But you, you make move after move. And then Julian Stane, the five-star quarterback from Bama, your quarterback of the future. It's been just, I, and I haven't even named all the moves, the Bill O'Brien move, like, Ohio State has just been doing everything they possibly can to, to make sure that this is a, a title or bust type year for Ryan Day, especially as he enters his first season with a new boss. Yeah, And that's for Ryan Day, like, what does he have to do? Does he have to beat Michigan? Does he just have to make the playoff? What do you think he, he has to do this year? I think if he doesn't win a national championship, his days are numbered. Now, his days might be numbered from the standpoint of like, all right, well, if he gets to a national championship and they lose a close game or something like that, then it's like, okay, he comes back next year. But then next year, you're going to have so much turnover. Like, this is a win-now team. Mm-hmm. And the way that they have spent in the portal, you know, there's been debate about the number that was thrown out there. Ryan Day said a couple years ago to Cleveland.com that $13 million was the number that it was going to take to keep intact. There's been debate about if that number is what it's going to, you know, what what is the, the, you know, the, the price for this group. But there is so much of a win-now feel for this team because they're going to lose a ton of pieces off of this roster. And if you can get past Michigan, yes, that's all well and good, but it's still Ohio State. It's about winning national championships. We're a decade removed now from their last title. Mm -hmm. And then Ohio State, a place with 17 finishes in the top 10 in the last 19 seasons, it's about winning championships. And so this is as much of a title or bust type season as I can remember for a head coach and I don't care if it's you know $35 million for the buyout his new boss is the guy that just signed up to pay a $77 million buyout to Jimbo Fisher so that number doesn't really matter a whole lot which was funny to me that's what's funny about him leaving like you make you do this whole thing and then you're you're like all right you guys deal with it I'm going to Ohio State (laughs) you you figure out how to pay him I'm gone 
I, I think, like, if, if you gave Ross Bjork truth, Jeremy, he's never going to admit this. He's going to say, oh, they, you know, everything in Ohio State is what you, what you would want it to be. That's what he said about Texas A&M. And I think, to a certain extent, it's a dream to be an athletic director at a place like Texas A&M, where you know that money is just not an option. Clearly, it's not an option. But can you imagine how difficult that would be to ask for the money needed to sign off on this buyout for Jimbo Fisher, this historic buyout that was three and a half times the richest buyout ever paid for a head football coach in this sport not to work? And then having to go back to those same people and be like, ah, we actually need some more money. We need money to be able to do this, this, this. That would be brutal. I just, he just wanted to get out of an awkward conversation as far as I'm concerned. And that's why he's like, hey, let's go to Ohio State. And let's talk to some different people with rich pockets. All right, we're going to get to the SEC in a moment, your expertise, but your expertise is all of college football. So I got another Big Ten question for you. With Harbaugh and still contemplating the NFL, I said this yesterday. I know a lot about the Ohio State roster. I don't know as much about Michigan. I know Quorum's going to the NFL. I know McCarthy's going to the NFL. If Harbaugh stays, what type of roster does he have to try to defend the title? And then if he leaves, it's 30 days for those players, those commitments to decide whether they want to uh, continue on to Michigan or go somewhere else. Do you think it'll be a mass exodus? I don't know that it'll be a mass exodus if they hire Sharon Moore. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. Okay. Yeah. See, they, they have an internal option that could allow some of that roster to stay intact. Now, they're going to lose some key pieces. They will return Mason Graham up front. That guy was just awesome in, in the playoff. I mean, the defensive tackle who was just such a difference maker for that team. They're, they're going to lose a ton of pieces no matter what. So Michigan's floor is is missing the 12 team playoff. Like that that is a realistic floor. TBD on what it looks like with you know the the 30 day window and how that all sets up. But it wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, these guys just won a national championship. Like we talk about in pro sports all the time. That's when these guys go out and they get their big free agent contract. They now is my time to be able to get paid after you win a mm-hmm. title. And that's why it's so hard to keep those rosters. So, yes, it it will be a team that, in my opinion, won't be picked to win the Big Ten. It it will be behind the likes of Ohio State. It will be behind Oregon. Like That that is the the new world that Michigan is living in. And, look, you said contemplating the NFL. Is Harbaugh really contemplating the NFL? His mind is made up. If he's done three consecutive years of interviewing for NFL positions, and he's interviewing for multiple jobs right now as a current college head coach, his mind is made up. He wants to go to the NFL. It's just a matter of whether or not the NFL wants him. Yeah, if you're taking second interviews with multiple teams, like it seems like yes, you are you you're trying to get you're you're trying to get one of those jobs. But he's making sure that the situation at Michigan, if he does stay for whatever reason, is about as beneficial to him as possible with the whole deal about not being penalized if they are hit by the NCAA with uh, any any type of penalty, which they probably will be. I mean, he's making sure to insulate himself from everything just in case he stays. I, I don't know that he... Look, I, I don't know that that's going to make or break his decision. I, I, I really don't. Like, it, It'd be one thing if he was just doing these interviews for the first time. If this was the first offseason where he's contemplated that, we would connect the dots and say, you know what, he's trying to get it. This is, this is just Pete Carroll all over again. That, that's what this is. And instead, this is a situation where he has interviewed three consecutive offseasons, and clearly the itch to get back to the NFL mm-hmm. is still there, and mm-hmm. it's one that he wants to scratch. So I don't know how much that's factoring in, into his decision. I mean, like He's the most competitive dude there is. 
you can tell him that he's going to have this sanction and that sanction. You go, like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't really care. <laughs> I don't know how much that's really going to make a difference. It's about what he wants and what he wants his next 10, 15 years to look like. So you, you mentioned their, their floor is you know, missing the 12-team playoff. Again, wait, there's still some plenty of time to go here throughout this offseason. But right now, what would you say the floor for Alabama is for next season? I think you have to say the floor is, is missing the playoff. I think the expectation should be making the playoff. I, I think that is that is clear. I don't think it's fair to say, like we're talking about with Ryan Day, that it's title or bust, yeah. and that's oh, yeah. what Kalen DeBoer needs to do. Like, year one coaches, I mean, they're, I went back and looked at it, I'm like, gosh, how many year one coaches have had title or bust expectations? Probably have to go back to Larry Coker 2001 at Miami to really come up with a good example of that. But I do think that it's, it's fair to set that expectation because, look, it, it is still a program that, even though it is going through a, a significant change, it's still a, a roster that's had enough talent to be able to have 13 consecutive 11-win seasons. That's not nothing. And you have a coach in Kalen DeBoer who is 12 and 12-2 against AP Top 25 teams. You guys that Kalen DeBoer has more wins against the AP Top 25 than Lane Kiffin? And he's been a head coach for a third of the time. I mean, think about that. This guy has handled himself against quality competition. It might be a transition year. Guess what? It was a transition year for Kirby Smart. Transition year one for Nick Statements. Transition year one for Urban Meyer. For all these great coaches. We've seen this happen repeatedly over the course of history. So if they go through a 9-3, and three, a 10-2, it doesn't mean that he is just destined to fail. It just means that the year ones are usually difficult, especially now in this era with 30-day window and portal and NIL and all those different things, it's tougher than ever for a coach to step in and be able to, to actually establish a, a, a team and a foundation that looks like it's at championship level. We've talked about the possibility of four from the Big Ten, four from the SEC. We've talked about it with you and, and, and other folks. What would it kind of look like if Michigan and Bama both missed out on the 12-team playoff, what are, what are we looking at here? You mentioned that you think Ohio State and Oregon will be preseason picks ahead of Michigan. But give me kind of the results that you think would happen in the SEC. Who would be in over them to make the playoff to keep Michigan and Alabama out? Well, I think if you're if you're 9-3, and three, you can't assume anything, right? I, I think the magic number is 10. The magic number is get to 10 wins by any means necessary. That's going to be the benchmark that some of these programs look at. And if you kind of take a glance at Michigan's upcoming schedule, like they have Texas in non-conference play. Michigan hasn't played diddly squat in non-conference play in recent memory in the 2020s. And they have that Texas matchup against the Texas team that returns a ton of talent, in my opinion, is worthy of being preseason top three. So you have that. You obviously have the Big Ten schedule the all-important showdown against an Ohio State team that's been building to this, that you would think, man, if, if not now, then when, especially with that game being in Columbus. But Bama, it's, it's pretty simple. Like, Bama's schedule is, is tricky. It's not the trickiest, but they have three difficult road games. They still have Tennessee, LSU on the road. It's still a, a matchup with Georgia in the regular season that uh, Bama's going to be an underdog. So if Bama's 9-3, that's, that's the path. Maybe a Georgia, Texas, those teams are, are considered more locks, and then Tennessee – is going to be part of that conversation, I think, as well. But, yeah, there's there's definitely a world in which those teams are like, hey, we're third or fourth or fifth even in our own conference, and we're looking up, and we're, we're just not one of those elite teams. And Sankey will still lobby for them to be in. <laughs> Look, man, he does it better than anybody. Like, the best. Everybody clowns on the SEC for having this conference pride and stuff like that. 
You do not see that in, in other conferences in a boisterous way. And everybody caught on him for saying, you know, one of these things is not like the other. He actually brought up the stat that I had from my tweet about the the the, um, the cost of getting into the conference championships mm-hmm. that weekend and how, how lopsided it was. Look, some people are going to hate on it. Others are going to point to a guy that knows what he's doing. And it'd be weird if we didn't talk about, you know, the SEC's dominance in the postseason. And as Greg Sankey wasn't the most vocal person about that. Yeah, good, are, point. good point. When are they going to make it official that they go to the 5-7 thing for the 12-team playoff? I keep waiting on that. It's, it's going to happen. I There's no world in which we don't, right? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think there's no way they're giving two spots to the basically the group of five. So I don't can, like, I don't think that hasn't that? happened yet. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think they're they're trying to hammer out what exactly that looks like because I know they were working through some of the legal TV stuff with, with Oregon State and Washington State figuring out what exactly that, that was all going to break down to be. Um, but it's going to be five seven. Like it just, it has to be with the five auto bids, one for a group of five, four for the other power conferences. I think the biggest adjustment is is not saying power five anymore. <laughs> like that for me is going to be really really weird. Well, and that's what I was wondering. I was like, I I guess that yeah, I don't because I don't understand the whole Pac twelve two situation. That theoretically there is still a Pac twelve, even though there's not. I don't. So I guess there probably is a lot of legal stuff when you consider that was one of the conferences that theoretically still exists, but doesn't actually still exist. Yeah, the name still exists, but there's no conference, to, there's no teams to back it up to be a Pac-12, so we we can get rid of that from our uh, um, from from our vocabulary. We don't have to be saying uh, a, a Power 5 nor a Pac-12. I mean, it's there, but it's not really there. Alright, final question for you, Connor. Um, I asked this to another guest yesterday. If you take Ohio State out of the mix, I, I gotta think we all believe Ohio State's had the best offseason. Who has the best off? Who's had the best off season to this point? Ooh, I'm gonna say Georgia, despite the fact that Georgia missed out on the Caleb Down sweepstakes to Ohio State, but you know, kind of quietly keeping Glenn Schumann on board, keeping Carson Beck, and getting him to return for another year. I look at that, and I think that's going to set him up really well with. Also, the addition of Trevor Etienne, the Florida running back, mm-hmm. who, in my opinion, is set up for great success this year, could be an all-SEC running back. And then a defense that, man, might be closer to 2021 than people realize. Like, Ohio State and Georgia should have the two best defenses in the country, bar none. And I think that they're really, really set up, and especially with the obvious, Nick Saban retiring. I mean, Kirby's 1-5 in five against Nick Saban. Like, nobody benefited more from Alabama not being Nick Saban's Alabama more than Georgia. So to me, those are the teams. I would put LSU up there as well with all the defensive staff overhaul that we saw in Baton Rouge by Brian Kelly. I think some great moves made there. But I would say that Georgia is kind of that next team up. Are Georgia and Texas the only two like possible picks to win the SEC next year? Like Everybody should vote for one of those two? You know, it's yeah, you're probably right. Um. Yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. I don't think there's going to be as many on the Bama side, and I, I think that you know Oklahoma's a little bit too fringe. There might be a couple that throw in there for Tennessee. LSU could also make some Ole noise. Miss will get a couple. I guarantee Ole Miss gets a couple of votes. They will, but the fact that they've never made it to Atlanta yeah. is going to prevent some from saying that they're going to win the conference. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. like order finish, that probably second to third is where you'll see more momentum for that. But I don't think you'll see them quite on the level of 
of Georgia and Texas to win the conference. The great Connor O'Gara, Saturday down south, Saturday tradition. You can follow him on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Catch him every other Tuesday talking with us. So we'll talk to you in two weeks. Gentlemen, appreciate it. Thank you, Connor. Good stuff. Ace is great stuff. It is. Ace always has great stuff. East Memphis Ace Hardware, quarter of White Station and Quince. Of course, the Big Green Egg, that's great stuff. And what? looking at the forecast for next week, look like we're going to be having some grilling weather. Uh-oh. Temperature's up in the 60s, sunshine. That's the forecast right now for next week. So I can finally fire my Big Green Egg back up and start doing some grilling. Of course, they've got all the different Big Green Egg and Egg accessories, all the different sizes, all the different things that you need. You can check them out at East Memphis Ace Hardware. They're a platinum dealer of the Big Green Egg. Of course, everything you need for any project around the house, maybe all the snow and everything else has caused some damage to some things around the house that you need to get fixed. Go see the folks at East Memphis Ace Hardware. They've got everything you need and a great staff to help you find it at the corner of White Station and Quince, East Memphis Ace Hardware. We'll talk some Tigers hoops when we come back. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk. Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Join the voice of the Tigers, Dave Woloshin, for Wolo and Friends. Weekday mornings from 10 to 11 here on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by East Memphis Ace Hardware at the corner of White Station and Quince. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Were you surprised to see that Memphis was not only still in the top 25 of the AP poll yesterday, but number 19? A little surprised, but I didn't really look to see closely at who it all had lost and who hadn't lost amongst the teams in that 15 to 25 range and teams just outside of that you know the others receiving votes last week i mean most teams most teams probably lost once i don't know you know i didn't again i didn't look to see exactly who lost once who lost twice who they mm-hmm. lost to all of that stuff it did seem like everybody lost and maybe that benefited memphis they lost twice but there were so many top 25 teams losing and losing to and, and unranked teams like Memphis did twice. But again, I don't like. I think the road losses, like I, certainly, I think voters will penalize them because of the South Florida loss. I don't think they'll like because everybody loses on the road to the unranked teams right now. Like I don't think the Tulane loss hurts you much in the voters' eyes. Yeah, Tulane was a road game. I know they haven't played up to snuff this year. They are not a real deep team. But when they get up for a game, like Ron Hunter got them up for the Memphis game three years in a row now, they can win those games and they have proven. Because what you know, you when when you're when you've got you know Kansas losing to West Virginia and you've got Duke losing to Pitt and these things like that, I think like they're gonna look at a road loss at Tulane and be like, but like that's not that big a deal. The South Florida one, that's that's the penalizing loss for sure of the two. Well. Right, right now, obviously, they're at a crossroads. And this week at practice is huge, leading into the game on Sunday in Birmingham. And Andy Kennedy's trying to really get his fan base going. Man, he's he's ready circling the wagons. He's ready for this one. Having uh, had that experience of, of playing Memphis when he was at Ole Miss, Cincinnati. But it should be a challenge, uh, to say the least. We'll talk much more about the uh, Tigers coming up to open up hour number two. But if you think about the Tigers... Ole Miss, they had a big lead, right? What was it, a 10-point lead? 
in Oxford? 11. 11 point lead. Against USF, they had a 20 point lead. Against Tulane, with six minutes to go, what was the lead? Seven? Uh, somewhere in the range. I'm not sure. So they had leads in all those games. The other loss they had was Villanova. Did they ever lead like real early in the game? They never led that game, right? That was a uh, wire-to-wire they, blowout. They were down by 30, seemingly three and, minutes into that game. So I don't Right. Know. I didn't know if they made the first basket or not of the game. I can't remember that. I was up at Temple with the football team, I believe. But more than likely, they didn't. They were down big, came back a little bit better, uh, a little bit more in the second half. But they got clobbered in that game. That's the only game this year. If you think about it, all the teams they've played, they blew three leads against South Florida, significant lead, Ole Miss, and Tulane, two of those on the road. To be honest with you, if they could have closed the deal, better shot selection, anchored down some defense, the only loss they've had, really, where they just got beat from the get-go was Villanova. And that's really what has to be emphasized, and I'm sure will be emphasized, that in reality, they're not that far off. But what also is reality is when you lose, as everybody knows, in this conference, it is damaging. So when we come back, I'm going to tell you where Jerry Palm has the team in his latest bracketology. Also, if you miss this, Tulane has apologized for the court storming. Not really the court storming they apologized, but for David Jones, who was shoved. I saw that video, Eli. He was pushed in the back. He was absolutely pushed in the back by some dude, just came up there and pushed him. So Tulane released this statement. This type of behavior is unacceptable, and these are actions that are not condoned by Tulane Athletics or the university. So they came out very quickly, um, certainly to make a statement that um, they do not condone this type of uh, behavior. But again, the court storming, I don't think they're going to step back from that. It was a huge win for them. Congratulations on that. But, uh, again, David Jones uh, pushing it back. Not hurt or anything like that, but that was, was their It was barely statement. a push. If you want to call it a push, you call it a push. It yeah, but you were saying yesterday, like, he like, kind of tapped He reached out him. and touched him on the back. He pushed him on the back. I mean, I saw the video now for the first time. I was like, it was a push. He pushed the guy. He went up and again, you can call it a push, you call it I'm a not tap. saying he went up to hurt him, but he purposely pushed the guy in the back. He wasn't hurt. I mean, he's fine, but... It, it, he did enough where they had to come out and make that statement. Again, as I said yesterday, yes, you don't put guy, you, you can't have the guy fans putting hands on players. It wasn't close to the Caitlin Clark situation. Did they come out Ohio State? By the way, I would imagine they did. Right? Did they come out and and uh, I don't and I don't, shoot I don't, that down? What, what happened? Yeah, I wonder if the uh, uh, Buckeyes made any. But Tulane did it immediately after the game. I mean, they they understood. They knew. Well, they saw the video. The kid too. They saw yeah. that. I didn't see it at first when you said that yesterday. I was like, okay, it's not that bad, but it's a little bit worse than what you made it out to be. The guy actually pushed him from behind. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk Tiger basketball. We're going to talk about the latest Jerry Palm bracketology. And I'm also going to pose a question that's going to probably make a few Tiger fans uneasy. Uneasy. I'm making a statement. I am not giving a uh, an opinion on it, but I'm going to give a statement about the future of the American Conference with Memphis and other members of the conference. We'll do that. We got Humdinger's trivia to open up hour number two, and then we'll talk University of Memphis athletics with Jeff Crane as we do each and every Tuesday. You're tuned in to Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. <laughs> 